You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, I'm excited, switching gears now. I'm excited because today we're starting a new series called Money Over Value. Money over value. You know, time and time again, when you study the scriptures, you see that Jesus called us frequently to not just choose monetary wealth, but to lean our hearts into true kingdom value. And so throughout this series, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus and how he taught about these various topics. Now, I realize when I said the word money out loud from up here, the undercurrents of anxiety started to rise just a little bit in the room. When a pastor says money, the baseline of anxiety, especially if we've never met, and this is your first time, it's like, welcome to the vineyard, your greatest fears are about to become realized. (laughs) The pastor's talking about money. But I can promise you, this is going to be a little bit different than what you have experienced. At least that's my hope, right? Some of your anxiety is is increasing because you assume that at the end of every message or at the end of this series, there's going to be a culmination of some great capital campaign, right? Or or you're going to hear at some point some radical plea that you need to give more so that we can keep our lights on the following week. And I hate to disappoint you, but whether or not you ever give to this church, next week we will gather. I will be preaching the Word of God and we will continue to be a local church community, right? Those of you who weren't clapping, your anxiety is getting even higher. (laughs) You're now creating 10 ways you can skip church for the rest of the month, right? And I get it, right? Because some of us have been burned by churches before, and we've heard so many sermons that treat Jesus more like a genie in the bottle, that if you just give more with greater faith, then your life will be blessed and everything will turn around for you. But this is not that series. And others simply don't like talking about money or anxiety rises because maybe you don't have a lot of it. Or maybe growing up, your family didn't have healthy conversations about finances and money and the kingdom of God, and so you never know where to grasp in the scriptures. I'm not naive. I know that the odds are stacked against me in this series, but I want to make a couple promises to you on the front end. I promise to not shame you into giving. I promise to stick to the scriptures, and I promise to not give you some kind of fake promise about giving in order to get that works, quite honestly, a lot more like magic than the kingdom of God. But so the expectations are clear, I will also invite you to give to the church. On the front end, I just want you to know that, that probably every week, if you call this church your home, I'll invite you to give to this church, but I promise that it won't get weird. I'm personally really excited about this series because when I read the scriptures, I see Jesus talking about money a lot, and I love the Bible. And I love pastoring, and I love making disciples. And when you add all of those things up, and then you lay that over the landscape, that what we call the scriptures, and just the, the sheer amount of times the Bible talks about money, I get excited because it means that over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some real conversations. We're going to have some real conversations about discipleship. 
And we're going to have real conversations about things that are involved in our lives almost every day that we exist, right? I mean, you can try to ignore money in the Bible, and you can try to ignore money in your own life, but the reality is these things are always going to be a part of our existence, the side of heaven. We are going to deal with money. It doesn't matter if you have a full-time job or a part-time job. It doesn't matter if you have a ton of money or very little at all. It doesn't matter if you're just getting started in your career or if you're retired. We all still have conversations. We all still have bills. We all still have to deal with money. And unfortunately, the church hasn't always done a great job talking about it. But you've heard me say this and apply it to other topics if you've called our church home for any length of time, and I think it applies to the topic of money as well. Just because you've experienced bad examples, it doesn't mean that it should keep you from biblical examples. And so we need to press into this together. I'm excited because even though you might be anxious, like it almost excites me that you're a little anxious. Um, yeah, like that's an uncomfortable laugh. I get that sounds a little sick and demented, right? Um, I'm a little excited about it because it means then we can deal with some real stuff together. It means whatever is going on for you in your heart or in your life or like whatever kind of pressure you're having to put, your, put into yourself so that you stay seated and not like leave in the first introduction means that we're going to get to have a conversation about whatever, whatever it is that causes that anxiety. It means that we can wrestle with the teachings of Christ together and we can begin to live out his teachings applied to our life, hopefully in a new way. A quick side note before I jump into this first message of the series, one fun thing that I did in preparation for this series is that months ago when I was preparing for this series, I met with many of you in one-on-one -on -one meetings, and you let me ask you many questions about uh, generosity and consistency in your giving and how you've leaned into that over the years. I met with singles. I met with men and women. I met with married, married with kids, people who earn a lot, people who earn very little. I met with retirees who are learning what it means to be generous at a later stage in their life. And with their permission, although I'll keep it all anonymous, with their permission, I will share some of their insights. Because if you don't know this about the Vineyard Church, we are surrounded by incredible generosity. This is a very generous church, and we uh, you give a lot to support this local church, and as a local church, we give a lot to other nonprofits that are doing the work of God's kingdom all over the world. And so I'll share some of those because I think we can learn from one another as well. So let's jump in to the first message on this new series. Today's message is simply titled Money Over Maturity. Money Over Maturity. If we're not careful, we will be tempted to choose a lifestyle that begins to elevate money over spiritual maturity. And if you like to argue, which I sometimes like to do, those of you who know me know that I sometimes like to argue as well, I realize that in this title, I'm almost creating a false dichotomy. I do believe, just at the record straight, I do believe you can have money and be spiritually mature simultaneously. I do believe that is a reality, but I'm being provocative on purpose here because I think if we're not careful, even if you're a consistent giver, you can begin to lean towards money instead of greater depths of spiritual maturity. And it's not for nothing. This title is not for nothing because as you'll see from our text, to varying degrees in the scriptures, money and maturity can be pinned against each other. And again, if we're if we're not careful, our love for money can warp our spiritual journey with Jesus. 
Our passage for today is Luke 16, verses 10 to 13. These are the words of Jesus. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. If you remember the series last year called Crazy Things Jesus Said, this would fit right in that series. In typical Jesus fashion, he kind of looks at his followers, looks at his disciples, and he draws another line in the sand. Right? And the context of this passage is a greater parable, right, about a shrewd manager who used his wealth to make friends. And in the parable, if you read the whole parable in Luke 16, you see that Jesus is actually making a few different points as he teaches this parable. And at first glance, they can kind of seem almost random. He's making a point about this, about this, about that, about that. But they're all about the kingdom of God. They're all about the kingdom of God. And for this message and for this series, I want to highlight some of the financial points that Jesus made. First, you hear in verse 10, Jesus say these words, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. If you're faithful with little things, you'll be faithful with much. So your, your faithfulness in the small things, it begins to demonstrate how you're going to live if you're given more. And what's really interesting about this is if you live in the American culture, we almost tend to believe the complete opposite. We tend to think that when we get more, say when we get more finances, we'll, we'll magically become more generous. We'll magically become more faithful. But verse 10 says the complete opposite. In one of my interviews with church members for this series, we talked about how believers often ace the theoretical tests from God. And we tell stories about how good we are if just a couple of things in our life were to change, then we would ace all of God's tests, right? And when it comes to money, they tend to sound like this. Once I get promoted, I will be more generous. Or once I get my first real job, you know, the job with like retirement and benefits and health insurance, once that job comes my way, then I'll be able to give back to God. I mean, you could just almost fill in the blank and create your own story, and I can promise you, I've heard that version of this theoretical test. Once my house is paid off, or once my kids are out of the house, or once I've established a nice nest egg, then I'll be able to give. One of my personal favorites, though, is once I win the lottery... I'll really be able to give, right? I passed the giant Powerball billboard in Denver last week. Natalie and I were down in Denver for a couple of days, and I drove past the Powerball jackpot billboard that said $421 million. And I immediately started playing this theoretical test. And it's quite theoretical, because I don't know if I've ever bought one of those tickets, but if I were, I said, God, if I were to win that, I'll double tithe on that jackpot. Those potholes out in that parking lot, some of you rolled your ankles on in the way in, gone. I will give so much. We will change the world together, Lord. This is the reality, but this is like make-believe land. 
It's some magical theoretical test that I aced if everything would happen to go my way. But because it's such a make-believe theoretical test, it's almost pointless for us to run that particular test in our life. What's more real and what's more likely in your life or in mine is that over a long period of time, small financial blessings may come your way. That someday on your career path, you may get promoted, or someday you may pay off the house. Someday you may have a retirement plan. But the Bible is pretty clear. If you're not faithful in the small things, the likelihood that you will be faithful with bigger things is idealism at best. Instead, the Bible teaches in verse 10 that when you develop a faithfulness in the small things, you prepare yourself for faithfulness with more. I can tell you this scripturally. I can definitely tell you this anecdotally. That it is a lot harder to give when you make $1,000 a month if you haven't first learned to give when you make $100 a month. It's exponentially harder to give a percentage of your income away if you're just starting at 1,000 compared to 100. I interviewed a single female who goes to CSU from inside our church. She plans on going to law school someday, and I have complete confidence that she'll be able to make it happen. And she knows lawyers earn a good living, so she's already planning on how to give more and how to honor God with the next phase of her life. We call this a premeditated giver, a premeditated and joyful giver. She's already devising ways to bless God in the future. Now, I've heard promises like this many times before, all those theoretical tests, right? But I know that she's for real. I know that she's for real because as she was telling me her story, we went back to age six. And she started telling me how she was giving from that age on. She lost her first tooth. Mom and dad put money under the pillow. And the first thing she did was she came to church and tithed on her tooth fairy money. I don't know what's happened to inflation, but it might have been about 25 cents back then. But I'm telling you, God honors that. God honors that. And when she was in high school and she got her first hourly job and her first paycheck came her way, the first thing that she did was she cashed the check and she gave a gift to her local church. She gave a gift to the vineyard because she wanted to honor God with what he had given her. In the Christian world, we've got a phrase for that. It's called first fruits. If you've never really been around the church much, but you've heard that phrase, that's kind of what it means, right? That she wanted to give God from the first thoughts in her mind, not just the leftovers after she paid all of the bills. Later in life, she committed to giving the convoy of hope, and now all of a sudden we see an established pattern of generosity, six years old with the tooth fairy, first high school paycheck, now above and beyond in supporting our women's empowerment program in the developing world through Convoy of Hope, faithful in little. And when she is entering her new law career, she will already know how to be faithful with much. I love that story, and it displays the generosity that is in our church. I also want to say kudos to her parents. 
right? Because that probably doesn't happen unless mom and dad are teaching about generosity, teaching about what the Bible says about giving to God, honoring God, and talking to their children about kingdom finances. So parents, if I can just boldly encourage you for a moment, talk to your kids about money. Talk to your kids about money. Talk to your kids about what the Bible says about money. Talk to your kids about what the Bible says about real, true, heavenly riches because I promise you the world is going to tell a different story about what they should do with their money. And we will help. We will come alongside of you to help. But ultimately, parents, you can be an incredible influence to teach them about what the Bible says. Like this single female in our church I want to encourage you to not wait for the promotion, though. Don't wait for it to be uh, debt-free or to make your make-believe scenario finally come into existence. Just begin being faithful in the little ways because God will honor every single step. Jesus continued in this passage, and in the next verse or two, what we learn is that spiritual maturity and generosity grow together. Spiritual generosity, or spiritual maturity, excuse me, and generosity, they tend to grow together. As you grow in spiritual maturity, generosity tends to follow. They kind of go hand in glove. They work together. Now, I do want to be very clear as I say that, just so you don't uh, misinterpret what I'm saying or misquote me to anyone else in your life, I want to be super clear on the front end. You cannot buy spiritual maturity. You can't buy spiritual maturity teachings where you give to get or even ideas that are adjacent or kind of rhyme with that idea. They're not helpful. And so I just want to say it abundantly clear one more time. You cannot buy spiritual maturity. However, your generosity is 100% an indicator of your spiritual journey. It's an indicator of your spiritual maturity. And for some of us, For some of us, it's our next step in the discipleship process. Some of us have learned to trust God in every area of our life except finances. And this may be your next step in the discipleship process. Verse 11, this is what Jesus said, And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. Jesus is comparing your ability to manage finances with your ability to manage the true riches of heaven. If you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And now, if you can be trusted with money, you can be trusted with the true riches of heaven. Again, in case you missed it, you can't buy spiritual maturity. You can't give so much that you somehow level up with God and earn more of his favor. That sounds a lot more like a video game than the kingdom. And scripture, if you read, it doesn't even tell you explicitly what those heavenly riches or blessings are. It just makes it really clear. It makes it abundantly clear that your ability to handle earthly wealth is related to your ability to handle spiritual wealth. That spiritual maturity and generosity, they grow together. You might not know this about the Vineyard Church, but we're part of a larger movement. There's 2,000 plus vineyards worldwide. There's about 600 vineyards in the United States. We're an association of church planting 
uh, churches that have come together to really help advance and expand the kingdom of God. And our movement takes these passages so seriously that unless a pastor has demonstrated consistent and extravagant generosity over time, they are not allowed to be a pastor in the vineyard. Because why would we seek spiritual authority if we can't honor God with earthly riches? And so this becomes one of the markers, at least from my overseer's point of view, is that if the pastors can't demonstrate consistent and extravagant generosity over a time, then they can't, they can't preach the word of God with true spiritual authority. I love that our movement takes things like that so seriously because it's truly biblical that these things grow together. That spiritual maturity and generosity grow together. Jesus really drives it home at the end of this text when he draws a firm line in the sand, when he says it in only a way that he can say, verse 13, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Time and time again, God uses money to get to the heart of what's going on in your life. And I will be very honest with you. Sooner or later, if you don't deal with money, God will eventually tap you on the shoulder. He'll eventually put a spotlight on whatever's happening in your heart around finances. And you may reach a spiritual ceiling if you're not willing to work on that with the Lord. And it's okay if you don't like that. We were all laughing a little bit earlier when I mentioned the Powerball theoretical test. That was really fun. Now it's a little bit more somber and a little bit heavier. I get that. You can even be mad at me. I'm okay. I'm okay with that because I didn't come up with this stuff. I'm reading you the scriptures. Like we all have to kind of come face to face with some of the things that Jesus said. And I'm telling you, sooner or later, God will use money to disciple you. Eventually in your life, God will use money to disciple you. And don't worry if you miss the test, if you fail the test, in the, in the economy of God, you just get to sign up again. He'll circle back around. Like God is like this awesome professor who just gives you pass-fail tests and you can repeat the exam over and over and over again. This is how it works. And here's the really sweet thing about how generosity and spiritual maturity work together. Like your spiritual maturity, generosity is also a journey. It's a journey. It's very rare for someone to become a believer or to become a follower of Christ and then just overnight and instantaneously understand how generosity works in the kingdom of God. It does happen that way for some. It, it has happened that way for some of you in this room because we've shared stories. But for most people, generosity is like their spiritual maturity. It's on a journey, right? And they're experiencing transformation while they're on that journey. A family I spoke with in our church put it this way. We are different givers today than we were five years ago. And we intend to be different givers five years from now because we want to continue to grow. It's very similar to what my wife Natalie said last week when she preached, the kingdom is about transformation, not just transaction. And obviously, a room this size with everyone tuning in online as well, growing in generosity will mean different things for all of us. It's going to mean different next steps for 
all of us. For some of us, it means simply reassessing where you're at today and, and making sure that your heart can stand before God with integrity, that you're leaning towards spiritual maturity and not towards money. One indicator of this might be to just kind of check your heart and how you've responded to the volatility of the stock market recently. Or what might look like a a recession or inflation, or if you're into crypto, like a crypto winter, right? Like what is going to happen and how is your heart responding to all of this news around our economy? Are you leaning into the Lord or are you leaning in to finances? For others, God may invite some of you to increase your giving or to take another step towards becoming the type of giver that you aim to be. And still for others, the invitation is to simply start today. Habits are a lot easier to grow once they have momentum. We have Sir Isaac Newton to thank for that, right? An object at rest tends to stay at rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. And some of us simply need to begin. Imagine starting with $100 a month. Now, based on your capacity, based on what you earn, that number could be higher or that number could be lower. But whatever that number is, imagine if you just started today and then imagine what kind of giver you would become if you added a small amount to that every single year. You followed the Lord. I've mentioned it many times. This is how Natalie and I have tried to do it our entire marriage. When we got married, we made a commitment to give 10% of our income to God. It felt scary. It felt risky. It felt like we might not have enough, but God has been faithful, and we've been married for almost 14 years, and I would say at least 10 out of those 14, we've been able to add to what we give, outgiving ourselves from the previous year, because we want to be radical givers to the kingdom of God. And so if you just started with whatever number it was, and then one year you added 50 bucks a month, or one year you added 100 bucks a month, or maybe that theoretical test came to pass, and you, were, you did get promoted, or you did pay off your debt, and you were able to add $200 a month to that. Imagine the impact in the kingdom you could have, and imagine the transformation that you would experience as you continue to let go of trust in money and lay hold of trust in God. That's transformation over a long haul. That's the slow kingdom coming. That's transformation as part of a journey in your life. Here's an interesting fact. We have learned it actually takes around 12 months before people start giving to their local church. It's one of the last things that American Christians do. And there's Likely a lot of reasons. There's probably a lot of reasons to that. And I actually have a lot of understanding on why it wouldn't happen in one week or why it wouldn't happen in even a month, right? I have tons of grace for the healing journey. If you've been burned by churches before, it might take even longer than that. But giving and healing are all a lot like swimming. That the most growth happens when you actually begin to get into the water instead of just observing it from poolside. A part of your healing, if you've been burned, might actually begin when you step in to the water in a deeper kind of way. I want to be just really loving and really honest with you for just a moment, if I can. One of the the most common things that I hear as a pastor when I meet with folks from our church is is a, a phrase, something like this, Jeff, I don't give to God. 
I don't give money to the Lord. I give other things. I give service or I give time. Loving an honest moment. Are you ready? Those are good things. Those are incredibly good things. Those are things that are indicators of spiritual maturity. And Jesus talked about things like service and honoring people with your time frequently, but he talked about them differently than he talked about money. They weren't, they weren't synonymous words or synonymous stories. He actually talked about them in different kinds of ways. He talked about service in one time, and he talked about generosity in the other, but they very rarely overlapped. It's not like there's the same Greek word for giving your money and giving your time. There are two different teachings. Both are incredibly important, but they're also distinct. They're also distinct. And they're distinct because God just knows how the human heart works. He knows that we can be married to our calendars and we want to protect our time and we want to protect our energy, but he also knows that our hearts can be married to our bank accounts and we want to protect our finances and we want to provide for ourselves. And we want to make sure that we have all our ducks in a row before we give to God. I don't know how to say it other than with like a lot of love and tenderness, but also with a lot of boldness. Because I want the best for your spiritual life. And it is my hope and it is my desire that you will continue to grow in spiritual maturity, that you'll continue to be sharpened by God's word and his truth. And so let me say it with just maybe a level of directness. Money and service are different things, and you're not the exception to that rule. For 2,000 years, people have tried to be the exception to that rule. You're not alone in trying to be the exception to that rule. I'm just letting you know that according to Scripture, like we, we don't get to come up with these things. We, we read what Jesus said. Look, if Jesus can predict his death and resurrection, then I'm going to go with pretty much whatever he says. And this is what he said about money. That giving and service are two different things. That we are not the exception to that rule. Because he knows, again, he knows that there's all kinds of things that keep us from generosity. There is a love for money in some. There is a fear for provision in some. There is a lack of trust in others. And we're always having to lay this down at our life time and time again in all the different stages. Because God wants all of who you are. Not just your calendar. Not just your energy. Not just your bank account but he wants all of your heart. And eventually, with kindness and with love, God will talk to you about generosity. He may even be talking to you about it right now. One final quote from someone inside our church. This is from an older couple who has learned to be and stay generous for 50 years strong. And if you know their story, you know that even when they were facing bankruptcy, they gave what little they could to God. They said this, there's simply no shortcuts to generosity. It's a lifetime of learning to depend on God. I don't know about you, but for, to me, that sounds a lot like spiritual maturity. It sounds like the type of legacy that I want to develop and live into in my own life as well. Let's pray.